Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. Today, we have a guest with us, um, Jessica Villala, who is the owner and head of IU Academy and My IU. And I've referred to her and that this program over the last year, and now we're at actually going to um, introduce her to everybody who listens to this. Um, Hi, everyone. <laughs> and so um, anyway, here we go. We have a lot of questions for you. Like, um, And <clears throat> so the start is, what is Ayurveda, right? Anyway, because most of the time I tell people, Ayurveda and they just get all confused and about a minute later they're like what what did you say <laughs> what is that that's a good question because I think some people are like oh I've I think I've heard of that it does have something to do with yoga so I'm <laughs> gonna hear your answer and get some ideas on what to tell people what it is yeah sure and that actually is a pretty common way that people come into Ayurveda is through some related discipline like yoga and they, uh, yoga and Ayurveda do come from a similar root from Vedic sciences. And these are the knowledge systems that have carried through uh, information in the Indian subcontinent or through um, traditional Indian practices over, you know, maybe 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years, 10,000 years. We don't really know. And we don't have the historical records to definitively prove any sort of start date or time or anything like that. 
but essentially these knowledge systems grew out of a need for humans to live in harmony with their external environment and with themselves, right? To be able to find some sort of inner peace in answering the questions that humans have always had. Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? And so on and so forth. And so Ayurveda gives us the uh, gives us the ability to understand ourselves, our relationship with the external environment, and how to negotiate that as best as possible to maximize our lifespan. And our lifespan is kind of like our candle. It's, it's our flame. It's our burn rate. How long can we exist in this physical form in quantity and absolutely be in qualities as well? Because a high quality life is night and day difference from a low quality life. And if anybody's ever been sick before, they know that difference firsthand. And so the main primary, very first goals of Ayurveda are to provide each individual a pathway to their own unique health so that they can perform their life duties or dharma. They can actually do them in the real world and help to bring valuable service to others through artha and gain financial um, stability with that, be able to meet their own needs, and then enjoy the fruits of their labor through kama, and then achieve some type of uh, detachment from all of that or liberation or freedom from all of that, and that is moksha. And so there's a line at the very beginning of one of the oldest texts in the world right now called the Charaka Samhita, and it's one of our seminal texts on internal medicine. And at the very beginning of that, which that book has, you know, thousands of lines in it, very beginning, uh, near the beginning, he says, Dharmartha Kama Mokshanam Arogyam Mulam Uttamam. And so good health lies at the very root of being able to achieve all four of these, Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha, like one's life's pursuit or their life work, actually doing it, making money off of it, and being able to support themselves on it, um, enjoying the benefits out of it as well, and then getting detachment or liberation from it. And so Ayurveda developed as the system for individuals to understand themselves so that they can achieve these life goals. And so we've got this whole beautiful system wrapped up into um, what everyone can experience as life as they go through different stages of life. And how do they keep themselves in harmony with their external environment so that they can be on track for a fulfilling and complete life? I've been fortunate to be uh, spending the last uh, month with with you. And uh, we taught a workshop together. And something that you said in the workshop, uh, I just really struck me because it was our workshop on open to your authentic self and i realized that ayurveda is the system that helps one find that authentic self you when you remove all the layers of of uh, what society might put on us or the unconscious choices that we make to, to live become more conscious in our choices for the most basic of things, like when to go to bed and when to eat and what to eat. Exactly. Wow, really beautiful. Yeah. I think it means a lot to hear those um, 
like foundational principles behind all of um, like this system of health. It just seems very different than other systems of health that we have in the world, including like the Western world. Um, one of my questions too was like, how does it differ from say like Chinese medicine? So it's, I think some people ask me that too, like that sounds similar. And they are actually similar in certain principles. Um, so Ayurveda kind of grew up next to Chinese medicine, uh, alongside it in a sense. They definitely must have been sharing information along the way. And another system, which is also even more similar, actually, is Tibetan medicine. Oh. And so what we see is that these traditional systems grow out of what are the humans' needs in that geographical location to maintain their health to the best degree possible and so maybe what these are are just different flavors of the truth as people experience it in that particular location mm -hmm. yeah. well so how tell us about yourself a little bit and how you got interested in Ayurveda sure so I was involved in computer work since a pretty early age, I started doing uh, database work when I was about 15, 16, and uh, took to it really well because my brain works like that. And it was just kind of automatic. And so I ended up not completing college in the U.S. because I didn't need to at that time. I had really great jobs. I was making a lot of money. And uh, by the time I got to 21, I kind of had a midlife crisis. Like, I don't want to sit in front of a computer all the time. And so I started traveling around. And I went and tried to do some fun kinds of higher education. Um, I lived in Mexico for a year and a half. And after I came back from all of that, I was in Boston. And my yoga teacher um, introduced me to another teacher who ended up introducing me to Western astrology. And it turned out his youngest son was studying Ayurveda in um, India at this time or at that time, in Jamnagar, which is one of the best institutions in India, the Gujarat Ayurveda University. He unfortunately wasn't able to finish, but so my astrology teacher knew about this, and he looked at all my stuff, and he was like, honey, you've got to go to India, you got to study Ayurveda, and I just kind of said, oh, I can go live out, out of the country for six years? Sure, why not? Awesome. And I just kind of signed up, and I went. Um, without, I, I like to say that I was young enough and dumb enough to, to go through with it without thinking about it too hard. Granted, I started learning about it, obviously, of course, before I left. And I would say that, you know, I read a lot of books from uh, Robert Svoboda, from Vasant Law, and all the kind of standard books. And that was nice. It was good to have some idea of what I was getting into. But what really helped was there was a Tibetan medical doctor in Boston. And I spent a lot of time with her before I left. And that really gave me the actual insight into how she practiced, what that looked like. Um, and that's who I still really try to emulate today, actually. So interesting. Wow. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you're, you were the first American woman and actually the only second American to actually graduate from an Indian school of Ayurveda. Right. And a lot of other people had tried in between when Robert Svoboda graduated in 1980 and when I graduated in 2012. Um, but it's not that easy to get in because of the way the educational systems were structured. So in India, 
public education is very uh, fixed. It's very standardized in that students have to choose in 10th grade which track they're going into. Are they going into business route? Are they going into sciences and possibly pre-med style or arts? And so for admission into Ayurveda medical school in India, um, students coming out of high school must have completed the physics, chemistry, biology track. And so many other people who had applied didn't have that background in high school when they came out of the U.S. I was fortunate to have a very rigorous education in high school, and so I actually had three years of biology, one year of chemistry, and I did a summer course of physics because I didn't like math at that time. I did that at UMass Amherst before I left to go to India, and I was able to get them to work with that and get admission after a very difficult process. It was, nothing was easy doing this kind of education in India, but somehow I was lucky enough to get through. And then you worked in India for a while too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a center for about two years and there was a family run beach resort um, just north of where I went to school. And it was a very wonderful, sweet family. Uh, they had been there for over 20 years. And so I was able to work with them because the, the father, he really liked yoga. He already had a yoga studio, like a, a big hall in the um, resort. And so we had two treatment rooms built. I actually invested in the whole thing to, you know, get it going. And I stayed there for about two years um, and had patients very quickly, which was nice because he had a good network of folks who came from Australia, some folks from Europe. Um, so all of a sudden I had all these, you know, English speaking Western patients that I could work with in India with the facilities readily available, medicines readily available and all the infrastructure, which was really wonderful. Um, and it, it took off very quickly. I always wonder if I had just stayed there, I think I would have been much more on track um, than rather than coming back to the U.S. actually. And, and well, I'm glad you came back, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so Shona and I actually met you in 2018 at a, uh, we were at a, a Yangar Yoga conference in Dallas and you were there. And at that time, I, I knew that someday I wanted to study Ayurveda, but I didn't know where there's just a lot of options in the U.S. And when I heard you talk about um the Van Sant Lad's textbook, which is I at the time thought was the gold standard in the United States. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not an expert of Ayurveda in the U.S., but um, and you had said that once you were in the classroom, that 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 book made no sense, and you set it aside. Um, and that struck me. I thought that's when I and knowing that you had actually studied in India and gotten the full degree in India. I'm like, that's the person I want to learn from. So I signed up last summer now, summer of 2021. And um, it, it, uh, it, it was an extremely rigorous training. I thought it was akin to going to physical therapy school for the amount of study I had to put in to get through it. Um, I'm actually repeating the information now. Um, because it's different. It's a different way to think. Um, and anyway, there's a couple of questions packed in there. One is, um, what, what do you see different 
in what what you learned versus what what you see here in the in the US? That is a fantastic question and it's one that is not widely known outside of the folks who actually have done complete Ayurvedic medical study in India and then have either resided in the US for enough time or practiced outside of India for enough time to uh, invariably come in contact with some of the other folks who have done different levels of training from from other institutions outside of India. There's a huge difference and it's, we would probably spend the entire time of this talk just looking at the differences, but I won't do that to you. But to sum it up, right, major differences include things like the Ayurvedic medical program in India is the minimum standard, minimum level of training to become a licensed Ayurvedic doctor in India is five and a half years of full-time study. It comes out to about 8,000 hours total. So right there, that eclipses anything that exists in terms of training outside of India today. Why do we do so much in that five and a half years? Well, there's a huge history that goes on behind that in terms of colonialism, the influence of Western medicine in India and how that has grown up since the 1800s and really pushed Ayurveda into this position of being a second class citizens healthcare system which is really disappointing, but that's that's the reality of what it has been for so long. And that is starting to change a little bit, but it's, it's still going to take time. So yeah. the way the program is structured in India is actually half and half, meaning we do about half of our time on classical Ayurvedic practices and um, training. And then the other half of the time is all on modern Western medicine. And so what Ayurvedic doctors end up being today is probably the the most prepared integrative physicians that we may find around the world. I don't know, but it seems to me that that has the potential to be that way if they've studied everything to the degree and the depth that is expected in that program. That's a whole other issue because that rarely happens. But just like you noted, Sarah, you did the program last year with me. You're repeating the information again. And the thing that takes the most amount of time to learn Ayurvedic medicine is wrapping your head around how to think differently. Mm-hmm. It's that train of thought that Western medicine has, which, which is actually wonderful. It's very calculating. It's very scientific. Um, it really goes down, breaks things down into their component parts and can get to an answer in some situations. But Ayurveda goes the opposite way, right? Ayurveda looks at the whole picture and it rolls everything up. And it gives us this beautiful bird's eye view, this big picture perspective that we can look at the whole human operating system from physical to mental to spiritual. That includes, uh, of course, you know, emotional states uh, can include even, uh, you know, there's a place to look at past life influence perhaps now we don't start on that spiritual side of things we have to start in the physical which sir you've heard me say many many times right i mean it's like a triangle the physical base is a solid probably 60 to 70 percent of what we're actually working with with any patient at any given time 20 ish 25 percent on top of that for mental and psychological and then just that tiny itty bitty five to maximum 10 percent on top 
is the spiritual. So one of the huge differences in the way that we're trained to practice Ayurvedic medicine in India is that triangle sits in that way with the physical foundation as the base, psychological in the mm-hmm. middle, and the cream on the top is the spiritual. In other programs outside of India, they have flipped that upside down. Hmm. And they have tried to make the spiritual the base and come at it from a different side. But that unfortunately isn't the way that classical literature is actually set up. And that is not the way that Ayurveda is practiced in hospitals in India today. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, a, a visual. Go ahead. I love that triangle visual. That's really helpful. And um, so I feel strongly about this because it reflects my career as a physical therapist and the things that I love to do and the impact of this, I'm going to say this cultural um, pressure um, to teach things quickly for one. Um, So, and, and also, you know, to address that, um, turn every problem into a spiritual problem before we address the physical. Um, there's no grounding in that. And people can get really adrift when they don't have a good solid physical foundation. Um, jump in at any time, but if you have something to say about these points, but if I would like to say like, so I also teach the Dr. Vodder method or I teach for that school. That school is for manual lymph drainage. And it used to be um, the gold standard, the best place to go learn manual lymph drainage in the United States. And now it's, it's, no one knows about it. (laughs) Many other schools have taken over uh, because the Vodder school demands that you, well, they did that you would go to four weeks of training, 160 hours. You think that shouldn't be too much, but uh, these schools that are popular say, learn manual lymph drainage in five business days. You can even get a certificate now in a weekend. And it, it's so unfortunate because it's killing this really great technique that could help a lot of people. I, I, you know, and as I was learning Ayurveda, I realized, wait a minute, if they're doing it to Ayurveda, what about yoga? What about Chinese medicine? And I realized yoga is a four-year college degree in India. Um, we were talking about the Iyengar school. There, there is twelve levels of two hundred hour per level training to become a master of that yoga school. And then you, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sure they did it to Chinese medicine. And you realize, I realize, everybody does acupuncture, and Chinese medicine is so much more than that. It is a complete system, and there, it is as if they're not allowed to practice it fully. So we don't really know what these these things are. And then finally, I have to say they're doing it in physical therapy because like, you know, that's why Chris, Chrissy and, uh, and, and I and Shona, you know, hang together because we have a vision for what physical therapy can be when you're allowed to spend time with the patient. And um, it, we, our profession is being changed by forcing it into um, handouts, <laughs> simplicity, you know, uh, uh, um, by sim- simple simplicity, I mean that dumbing down of 
everybody with an ankle sprain should do this. Here's the handout. Go do it. And it, it's so much more than that. So here, that's why I was so glad to find you. I just felt like it was serendipity at its finest. Oh, it was so nice to find you, Sarah, too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Shona, I still remember at the Iyengar conference, like running after you, like, no, come back, please. <laughs> I remember at the Iyengar conference, too, thinking, oh, we'll find each other again. <laughs> so glad. And here yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with like what Sarah was saying. I was thinking the same thing. And um, I always found it interesting, like through my 20s, I did like a younger, I'm, what am I, 32 now? But I did a younger yoga and I trained, worked with Sarah and did the water lymph drainage and really dive. I'm really lucky that I found these um, schools that really dive deep where you have a mentor. That's also why I wanted to work with Sarah because I wanted to have that mentor like every day to train and really go deep into physical therapy and um, all of these methods. I've always found it interesting that I often was like the youngest person in every like yoga class um, or lymph drainage class or, you know, the, and I just, it made me realize that like our culture really clashes with the idea of, just really long, arduous, like trainings. Um, and I think a lot of people in my generation and younger are just, I don't know, it, like, we're just very, we don't have the time for it or the um, mental, like focus. Um, and I just hope, I don't know what it is, what I'm trying to, it's, there, it's, there seems to be this struggle with, <laughs> like, I, you know, with all these philosophies that have, you need like very deep, long study and then clashes with our like scatterbrained western like culture one thing that i have noticed with folks that i work with in terms of coming to you know improve their own state of health is that kind of mentality is very indicative of being off of their healthiest point right that scatterbrained uh, flightiness that's going on and their inability to stay focused and stay determined and keep themselves committed to completing something or just trying to find like what's the quickest way to do this what's the you know maybe easiest way or how can they how, how can i be spoon-fed this as easily as possible right that kind of mentality just shows that people are sort of in a, their own kind of um state of development right and this level of depth that you two both strive for again and again, and that you've been doing over so many years and so many decades, especially Sarah, like is so commendable and it's so rare. And so I think Sarah and I were having this conversation just yesterday too. If that's what it is and the demand for this kind of depth and mastery of a subject, if, if there's not a lot of demand for it, then we simply just can't expect a lot of people to come and do this which is now I think a wonderful thing because that means we can really spend our time with the ones who do come and really focus in on it with them and help ensure the integrity of the knowledge with the few people that are sincerely dedicated for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not waste time being upset that not everybody is because that's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, 
So who do you think Ayurveda is a good choice for? That's a great question. And uh, you'll remember in one of our workshops, uh, a functional doctor asked a very similar question, right? Who would be a good patient to refer to this? And normally, the Western healthcare professionals are going to say, oh, okay, we focus on digestive disorders. We, we can specialize in that, or we focus on neurological disorders or degenerative disorders, right? And the same answer that I gave her, I'll give here as well, the people who really want it. The people who uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, have had to suffer so much that they are left with very few other choices. And they're ready to do the work they're ready to face whatever it is, and they're ready to stay committed, even when it's difficult. This is, Ayurveda is being, showing up for the relationship with yourself, hmm. right? If we talk about being in relationship with a partner or with a family member or anybody else, this is the relationship that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. How do you want to be present for that? And how honest do you want to be with that, right? And not, if, again, just like people that don't particularly care about high levels of standards or integrity or they want the easier way. Uh, again, Ayurveda may not be the best for people that just want the superficial answer. And that's totally fine because, again, we can really focus in on getting those results with the people who are ready for it. Yeah. Well, and... I also think um, well, what I'm struck by is the parallel with some of the things I know from body work in myofascial release and craniosacral therapy. Like we're used to seeing people go through, um, you know, the process of getting worse before they get better. And I see Ayurveda peeling off the layers in a similar fashion, just using routines of, of how you eat and sleep. Um, and so I, you know, I'd also, I understand more as time goes on why it would be really wonderful to get younger people because, um, okay, you know, being an older person, I'm, I'm having to go back through layers of the things that have occurred to my myself over my lifetime. And that has required some good mental strength, mental toughness on my part. Um, and uh, like setting aside ego when I just see my faultiness, <laughs> um, you know, in order to, to get through this process, I, you know, or even you, you sometimes even have to feel sick to, to get better. Um, is there some insights from the classics on that? Um, yeah, it's kind of a big topic when we look at the state of health physiologically, right? Ayurveda recognizes different states that are, are non-existent, essentially, in Western medicine. Like, we don't even have a place to correlate these things to. And so it makes it a little more difficult to try to understand like what is this process that's happening because Sarah, you've seen it so many times you've even experienced it to some degree yourself Shona you've experienced it too and this is why I'm going to write the book one day and it's <laughs> going to be called how to get sick so you can get better mm -hmm. because this process of yeah cycling through 
whatever these waste materials are in the system and getting the body to go into self-cleaning mode to burn that out and to reset base metabolism so that it is functioning in a cleaner way. If that is step one, then it is rife with all kinds of hurdles and pitfalls and difficult things and eating the wrong kinds of fats or too much fat at a certain time in that process is going to trigger episodes of feeling really unwell, feeling really sick, possibly even having a fever. And the concepts in classical Ayurveda are such that these waste materials are being generated by the body day in and day out. Just like if you didn't clean your room for a year and you come back and you wipe your finger across the dresser, you're going to pick up a whole bunch of dust. The body collects dust like that over time. And it doesn't matter how clean one's diet is or how clean they perceive it to be. Uh, it doesn't matter how many supplements they take. In fact, that can oftentimes lead to worse outcomes. Uh, but this process of waste generation is constant because there's actual combustion happening inside the body at all times. And the side effect of that combustion is waste. And if that waste is not shuttled out completely, it builds up. And so starting out in this path of living an Ayurvedic lifestyle, right, truly to the root, often involves addressing some of this built up waste initially. And so it's not an easy thing to just flip into an Ayurvedic lifestyle and boom, one day for the next, you're feeling full of energy and you can go on a 10 mile bike ride and you're having a wonderful day, right? Although that, that will come if that's what you want. But what also comes out of it is your recognition, your, your awareness of yourself improves and your recognition of, hey, actually, this is what I thought I wanted, but maybe that was a disease talking. Or maybe that was the waste material talking and pointing me in the wrong direction to try to build that waste material up into a full disease. And so that is another huge topic that we often work on with people when we try to get into these deeper states of resolution and giving, helping that person gain the tools to recognize what is their clear truth versus these kind of deviation um, messages that are coming through from the, from the disease itself or from the brewing pathology. Mm -hmm. This made me think, you said um, something that I could relate to, that it doesn't matter how healthy you think you are, like how you're eating, because that was definitely me. Um, that, you know, I thought, oh, I'm eating very healthy. I exercise every day. I'm, you know, the one of the healthiest people I know, but I'm still, you know, having gut issues. And I see that amongst my peers as well, just especially young, healthy women, like almost like 75% of my friends have gut issues. And I think coming, you know, for the past few years, I think, been thinking, what is going on? Like, why are all these young healthy people sick um so i was just curious if you could expand on your opinion on that <laughs> yeah for sure this is also kind of a complex area the gut itself is very elaborate and to think that you know there's 
there's how many thousands or tens of thousands of different pathways, metabolic pathways that are happening at any given moment. How many millions of different microbes or bacteria have to exist in the gut to keep things in a smooth, functioning, healthy, happy state. So this is there's a huge orchestration that has to go on here. And this is one of the benefits of coming at this from the Ayurvedic approach, because rather than trying to drill down into these, who knows, infinite number of combinations and permutations of chemical reactions that could be happening in any unique individual at any given time, we roll up and we look at it from the, the bird's eye view instead. And so we go, when we look for those signs and symptoms, is it leaning one way or another? And if we can come to an understanding of what is pulling the strings on that, then we can start to work from a higher level, which is going to have a downstream effect on who knows how many different pathways simultaneously, rather than trying to come up from them one at a time. Right? And so in this way, Ayurvedic approaches can be more powerful. But as we start to come down on that, right, if there's uh, like a symbiotic relationship, say, between 10 or 12 different pathways, and they all have to function harmoniously to get a particular outcome, if two of them are broken, or if three of them are broken, right? How do we now start to cohesively get everything back together again? And it is in that process where we start fixing individual things one at a time, that the person feels temporarily better. They notice this big boost of energy, but then it slides back down again. And so the road to health is not just a linear straight line. It is a constant fluctuation of waves and existence is a constant fluctuation of waves, right? So looking at all of these moving parts liver and all of its metabolic functions, uh, the pancreas, the kidneys, the lymphatic system, right? Things that Sarah knows, you, both of you know much better than I do, pelvic congestion and lymphatic drainage. And how does that give us insight into a person's overall state of health? And so in Ayurveda, a lot of these symptoms will come together to point us in this direction of um, this thing called ama. And ama refers to incompletely or um, improperly digested food. Food that has not converted all the way into its clean energetic output and its clean waste product, which is going to be eliminated from the body. So all this st starts to back up, starts to clog different metabolic pathways, and we start to see very... Uh, non-specific symptoms like generalized fatigue, especially after lunchtime, constipation, right? Headaches, brain fog, pain that shifts around, stiffness in the morning, cold, especially in the extremities, difficulty in maintaining thermal regulation or body temperature. Right? And for Western science to come in and try to say, okay, we can diagnose these and we can tell you exactly what's going on here. Maybe they will come up with a syndrome name or something to that effect. Something like chronic fatigue syndrome is a good example of heading in the right direction. But when we look at that from the Ayurvedic perspective, that's just actually the very early stage of a much worse disease to come. And so we have to now start to look at things in, in this um, 
life cycle form. We have these uh, predispositions to disease. And as these start ticking upward and they get out of their healthy boundary, they lay the seeds for pre-disease. And that's where the person starts recognizing, hey, something's not quite right. But it hasn't made itself all the way into full-fledged disease. And so it becomes a little more difficult for traditional Western medicine to identify that and to provide sort of a specific treatment plan on that. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, there's no there's no one size fits all. So everyone, you know, Ayurveda comes from that perspective and treats everybody very specifically. Um, and then um, I find it fascinating. I Somebody told me or once read about the like stages of disease that Ayurveda defines and that Western medicine only really deals with the later stages. Um, and I appreciate that Ayurveda really addresses these symptoms early before they become a full-blown like diagnosis. Exactly. And that's one of the benefits that we also get with this big holistic picture and this top-down approach, because we can start to see where things are off so, so, so early. And my approach to using that information with folks is to not have them get into a situation where they have to be dependent on going out to somebody else and saying, hey, I don't know, is something wrong with me, right? Like you already, you know when something's not right. What you don't know is what to do about it. And that's where Ayurveda gives you the best, most powerful tools because if an individual can recognize when they're in stage one or two or three out of six stages and they know what to do in those first three stages, they can avert disease for a long time. So it takes quite a bit of learning. And again, maybe this isn't for the faint of heart and the sense of like, I'm sorry, but I don't think we can have just a weekend class of, oh, come learn Ayurveda in a weekend and you'll know how to take care of your health for the rest of your life. Right, that seems a little preposterous anyways. So this is a, a, a long-term kind of learning process. And one of the other reasons why, Ashwani, you talked about a good point here, why Ayurveda is so personalized. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to look at each person in such a unique way? It's simply because the calculation that we use to determine whether that person is in a state of health or if they're in a state of disease and how far that deviation is, where that deviation is happening, that calculation is so tremendously complex that we have at least 15 different factors with different priorities, different weights on them, different methods of assessment. And, you know, mentally we have to calculate all of this into a treatment plan. Where do we start? What's the most important thing that the person has to do first, and then second, and then third? And then how are they seeing those changes, and how are they integrating that into their long-term state of health or their long-term lifestyle plan? It makes me think about how, you know, in Western medicine, we use the scientific process to test things. So, you know, you'll see articles coming out saying, 
know, caffeine is, is good for you and it has these benefits for coffee. And then, oh no, it's not good for you. You shouldn't drink it. And it can get very confusing for everybody thinking, I don't know what to do. You know, you know, drink juices every day. And you told me actually juice is really, really hard to digest. (laughs) And so it can get really confusing. Um, using kind of our Western methods of testing um, methods. So I'm curious what the like Indian scientific method is or how like Ayurveda um, has like tests these methods. Is that That's a great question. You know, I asked that very same question to my, really? some of my teachers, many of my teachers uh, within the first three months of being in India. Like, oh, cool. where, did, where did this come from? How did they know yeah. this, right? Like, <laughs> they must have tested it, right? Right. Because uh, th- this is super complex, guys. Like, they didn't just make this up, right? And some of the answers that I got were just kind of ridiculous. Like, oh, they sat in a cave and it beamed down to their forehead. And it's like, okay, <laughs> maybe that's a possible answer, but I'm going to keep asking other people. <laughs> and so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me and for my person, my practice and for my teacher who has really pushed me in the right direction for in so many ways uh his method of practice and and the people who are really good at ayurveda in india they are some of the most amazing technical thinkers that you can find on this planet and their calculation ability is extremely complex and what we're doing is the same exact scientific method that is used in western medicine there's no difference in this You have an equation, and if you change more than one thing at a time, how can you know whether it worked or not? The difference is the context. Because in the Western paradigm of testing, they are focusing in on certain variables, but not seeing many other variables that in the Ayurvedic paradigm, we have a place to account for all of the other variables in our equation. And so that's why a lot of these results that come out of Western testing are so contradictory. Hmm. And they are so confusing. But if we were to take the Ayurvedic paradigm and actually build a testing architecture with that foundation, we would come to much more precision in our answers and our results. And, and I think your data uh, database background uh, is something that has really helped you to like cut through the cut through. I don't, I don't know what to, the, the stuff that has accumulated w- within our society and how we look at Ayurveda cut through that and go, no, this is, these are the principles that were taught at the classic level. This is what you learn if you get, all the data, um, you know, I if I feel it's very important if you are going to do something that you have a solid foundation. And we we see a lot in the United States where you know um, uh, professions are popping up to meet a need, um, but those professions don't necessarily have a, a solid foundation. And I'm not going to pick any out because I don't want to create any problems for people. But but just to point out this tendency 
and I will say, as insurance companies limit the way that doctors and physical therapists and people like us can practice, I used to be able to see three people three times a week. Um, well, I, I it, it's very difficult to get that done for people nowadays because of the the um, lockdown of insurance on on how we practice. So other professions have popped up who will do it. And if you find someone in that profession who's really dedicated to study and everything, it, it can work out really well. But for the most part, the, the criteria to get those um, uh, certificates, et cetera, are, are a pretty low standard. And then the results is low standard. So um, we, you know, it's important in Ayurveda for, I think that this, these foundations are there. Um, and then that, and when they're not, you know, where we, so that, I'm sorry, I'm sounding confusing, but there's that point. One of the manifestations is, um, this emphasis on spirit, spirituality and emotion, emotionality as the cause of disease. And, um, I went through that too and it, it, during my career thinking, because emotions do affect health, but when we don't have good answers, um, understanding in the physical realm, as soon as we're, then we quickly switch and blame emotion. And this happens to women all the time. And, yeah. and Ayurveda has shown me there, there are physical reasons why these things are happening. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we look at causation of disease, it can definitely be from the physical realm or physical level. Like I talked about the triangle with 60 to 70% base. That's where most disease comes from, is from physical discontinuity or physical disequilibrium between the internal functioning, internal physiology of the human body and its external environment. It's just not cohesive, right? It's not in harmony. However, it is also just as possible for disease to come from the psychological realm. Just looking at the numbers, the probability of that is less because the psychological realm takes up a little bit less compared to the physical realm. So let's say it's about 20 to 30 percent on the psychological realm versus 60 to 70 percent. So a one to two ratio approximately, if we just want to come up with very generalized numbers. Now, these sources of disease or causation of disease is clearly stated in classical literature to be able to over time cross over from one to the other. So if that psychological disease is existent for long enough, it can eventually permeate down into the physical body and affect the physiology of the body and deviate the physiology from its normal healthy state. Likewise, if the physical body itself is off for long enough, it can then cause perturbations in the psychological space. But this happens over time. And for most people, it happens so gradually that they never realize how far they've drifted. And if you think about this, like you ever want to go out on a little rowboat and 
the ocean seems nice and flat and calm and clear and you kind of drift out there and then this fog rolls in and you have no idea where you are it's that kind of imagery or that kind of um feeling let's say and if you guys or anybody has ever had that sense of like you wake up one day and you just wonder where where am i i don't even recognize myself from 20 years ago or from 10 years ago or something's not quite right like i've forgotten part of myself right that discontinuity is a very early warning sign that hey maybe it's time to pay a little more attention to your own health and that's why this whole idea of ayurveda being a way for you to understand your relationship with yourself because it gets you to look at yourself it gets you to pay attention to yourself every day and sarah and shona you guys both know if you do work in my iu you get this big beautiful tracker right and every single day i ask people to actually take 10 minutes out of their day at the end of the day sit down and log everything they've done what time they woke up what time they got out of bed what they did in their morning routine what they had for breakfast snacks lunch dinner what they drank what they did in the evening how was their poop how was their sleep right all of this stuff this is so that you are showing up to yourself in your relationship to yourself every day and you can see what you're doing to yourself which is beneficial and that which is not beneficial right and if you see that long enough over time and you see that pattern happen again and again and you realize oh hey i didn't feel so hot that night i didn't feel so good the next day i woke up after i ate whatever it was for dinner and dessert mm-hmm. you know what i mean i i don't have to do anything meaning i'm i'm just sh- letting you see for yourself what is working and that is what ayurveda is yeah, Ayurveda has been very grounding for me because I, I think in myself and just I see it a lot of that you're saying that like brain fog and sort of I'm feeling something is off, but I don't know what to do. And then it's so easy to grab for like, let me try this, let me try this, let me try this. And I think my, you know, like in PT too, it's learned, I've learned like a lot of things like the body work and um, combining with physical therapy and then Ayurveda seems to have really like brought everything together like full circle and I'm glad that I'm like I'm learning this now because <laughs> um, I do have those senses of like something is off something is wrong and then I'm um, to have found Ayurveda and be like doing this now versus you know trying to do like let me try this juice cleanse or like let me like work with this trainer or like this and that this just makes it so much it gives me relief I guess I'm like oh like this they Ayurveda has been around for like so long (laughs) um it just makes sense um it makes me feel like grounded in a way Mm -hmm. so I'm like everybody should know about it (laughs) like shout it for the mountaintops like this is amazing and it just makes so much sense and it's it's invigorated my physical therapy practice. You know, I've been looking for 20 years at, as I've treated lymphedema, I said, I see all, all these big bellies sitting across from me. I'm like, why is that? And um, 
in my looking, I discovered um, functional medicine. That helped me a lot. That helped my patients a lot, but it never resolved problems. There, you had to, for my like for my own self, continue to eat gluten free and still, but have ups and downs. Um, so now that I understand the principles of Ayurveda and I can apply them for myself and my patients. I, I can actually bring it into my physical therapy practice without violating my licensure boundaries. Um, and um, because the, the basic things to teach people, uh, you know, and we can talk about, we can talk about what time you go to bed and get up and the quality of your sleep and timing of meals and the size of the meals and the, um, I don't have to get into specifics. Um, and in your organization, this is the role of what you're calling the Swasta Acharya, the, the holistic health coach. So anyway, it fits beautiful into my physical therapy practice. And I understand the importance of it within your organization where you, you have several people with this designation of SA working alongside you because uh, Americans don't think this way. And it's like learning a foreign language. Uh, and it took, it's, you know, it's still unfolding for me in over a year of working um, with you to let go of old habits um, and old perceptions and create new ones and ex do this experimentation and, and find out what works for me. Yeah. As, as time goes on though, and I see the results, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm in, uh, I, I was gluten free for over 15 years because of hypothyroid. And it was one of the few things I could do to, um, alleviate bodily pain. And I eat gluten now. And, and then it, uh, my thyroid started to kick in to the point where I could not take my medication without having, um, you know, symptoms of hyperthyroid. So I, for, I'm three days into no thyroid medication. Um, no, no iodine. Yeah. And I, I feel fine. And, the, and the reason, uh, now that that layer is removed, I can see the next layer how I got myself into a state of hypothyroid. And now that's my next work. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, and I could, I could list off stories of now with the people that I've worked, worked with in my IU and in my own family. It's so, uh, and the way that you're presenting it, where you're holding people to the fire of the tracker, <laughs> Do look at yourself. Do fill this out. Do stay with the uncomfortableness of that. Yeah. yeah, because it changes and it becomes more comfortable as they come into themselves and they see that they can cast off this uh, disease or you know disequilibrium that that they they essentially they did it to themselves over time and nobody wants to hear this right mm -hmm. nobody wants to think that they are their own source of their own disease. Mm -hmm. But in this process of being able to look on it or look back at it from that way, 
and say, okay, yeah, I'll accept that X, Y, and Z that I did led to this state. That's where all that profound change comes from. Because now they take responsibility for it. Now they become in control of their health, which really just comes down to the choices that they make day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And how they choose to train their physical state and entrain their digestive system, which entrains their psychological state via the gut-brain connection and uh, all of the other hormonal systems in the body that are dependent on fat metabolism, liver metabolism, right? Reproductive systems, drive and energy. Uh, everything comes down to how well our internal engine is working, that being the digestive system. And so I think that, you know, whenever a person is really ready to say, okay, I'll take responsibility. They're the ones who will definitely get results for what what they're ready to do. Yeah. Well, and, and I understand my situation isn't a cure. I can set myself back again. It makes me more interested in grasping the concepts of a daily routine, you know, being, being able to put them to use so that I can keep feeling better. It's very yeah. motivating. Health um, is your savings account. <laughs> and every day you want to put a little, you know, a couple coins in your little savings bank. What does that look like? Does it look like really making sure you've cooked well for yourself that day and you're eating hot, freshly prepared, home-cooked meals? Does it look like you made sure that you went to bed when your body said, I'm ready? You know, never mind the time on the clock. Although it should be between 7 and 9 p.m. That's the ideal time. Um, So there's all these ways, right, that we can show up for ourselves day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And by learning this and by taking responsibility, we feel motivated to do that. And then we feel even happier when we see the positive results from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. You're so welcome. I hope that this is helpful for people. And I hope that like the motivation to want to be your best self is something mm-hmm. that each, if each of us can even feel that for a brief period in our time, I think we're all very blessed. So, yeah. Yeah. It's been great people can people can learn more about you at iu.academy that's a y u.academy and the program for personal health is my iu m y a y u and i highly recommend it mm-hmm. um, you too. <laughs> thank you both yeah yeah thanks for yeah. having me it's been wonderful Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.